Hello, my name is Ben Briggs and I'm in a little bit of this podcast now. You're listening to the Big Finish Podcast. Chocks away. Hello, I'm Nick Briggs. Simple as that. Here at Big Finish Productions, we are the proud purveyors of fine audio dramas and audiobooks. Doctor Who, Torchwood, Blake 7, all sorts of stuff. Look us up at bigfinish.com if you don't believe me. This music is from our reimagining of The Prisoner, by the way. Yes, on audio, I mean. We do stuff like that, you know, like The Avengers, Survivors, The Omega Factor. Honestly, I'm, I'm not going to mention everything. I could. I could do a long list. That's what I've been doing for the last few months. Terror Hawks, The Confessions of Dorian Gray, Sherlock Holmes, The Adventures of Bernice Summerfield, Dark Shadows. Uh, did I mention The Prisoner? Ha ha ha. Anyway, let me tell you how a Big Finish podcast works. In a moment, the news. All the latest from Big Finish. Then it'll be time for listeners' emails. You tell us stuff, we read it out, I try to answer it, or at least make some sort of hopefully fairly adequate comment. Then it'll be time for our guest star interview. Normally, we chat to someone specifically for this podcast. We've had Louise Jameson, Tom Baker, and all sorts of producers from Big Finish. Oh, and Frank Skinner, too. Have a look back at the podcast section of our website or on SoundCloud or iTunes if you miss them. They're all still available. But this time, it's something from our massive archive of Big Finish interviews, courtesy of long-term Big Finish contributor Martin Montague, who's taken the time to dig this out for me. Thank you, Martin. It's a section of previously unheard audio with line producer David Richardson chatting to actor John Chalice, famous in the Doctor Who world for playing Scorby, the henchman in The Seeds of Doom, but best known certainly in the UK as Boise, a character in the phenomenally popular long-running sitcom Only Fools and Horses. Following that, it'll be time for me to activate the Randomoid Selectatron to randomly select a random release from the Big Finish archive. I'll play you the trailer and hopefully be able to tell you something fascinating about it. The process is entirely random, so fingers crossed there. <laughs> then it'll be time to tell you about our latest releases. Beyond exciting, of course. I would say that, but it is seriously and to finish things off we'll be continuing our serialization of the paul mcgann doctor who adventure the great war which is brought to you in commemoration of the 100th anniversary of the battle of the somme in world war one so now the news the November Doctor Who main range release Order has recently been revealed to be called Order of the Daleks. Yes. Um, I was going to tease the cover, but the cover's already been released. And it has the most amazing version of a Dalek you'll probably ever see. Probably controversial. Let us know what you think at podcast at bigfinish.com. <laughs> Now then, since it's the 1st of the month, the 1st of August, that's when this podcast is being released, there's a new listener's title. 
Every month we promote a title from the Big Finish archive and give it a big discount so anyone who hasn't caught up with it can give it a try. And then you can email us with your thoughts about it at podcast at bigfinish.com or you can make your views known to us on Facebook or Twitter. This month's title is from our Sherlock Holmes range and it's the first in a sequence of releases by that brilliant writer and renowned novelist Jonathan Barnes. It's The Perfidious Mariner. Mm, Something to do with the Titanic in there. Here's a clip. Consider the hive, how perfect it is in form and design. How ideal is its society. No infraction is permitted there, no insurrection allowed. Each constituent knows its role and precisely how to play it. Every citizen is productive and of use. Their world is as clockwork, precise, punctilious, begging no margin for error. It is a universe of logic and reason with no place for murder or for the taint of madness. And it's by way of a celebration of this month's Sherlock Holmes release, The Sacrifice of Sherlock Holmes, which is also by Jonathan Barnes. I feel a little immodest promoting it because I play Sherlock Holmes but uh, what the heck so you can get the Pavidius Mariner for $2.99 and what's more anyone signed up to our free newsletter in August will get a code to allow a free download of the first hour-long episode of The Sacrifice of Sherlock Holmes it's entitled The Prophet in the Rain and if you like Sherlock Holmes It should rather rock your world. Frankly, you won't see this coming. Who are you? Me, sir. Who am I, sir? I'm every boy who was ever betrayed by his father. I wish first to thank you for attending this occasion to mark the regrettable passing of my brother. I'm every child who was abandoned to rot or thrown to the jackals or treated like offal. He was unquestionably murdered. I'm every baby who's had to fend for himself in this brutal, bloody world. The tremor shook the Myrmidons. None dared look on it, but all fled. Not so Achilles. In him, fresh vengeance kindled at the view. And while he gazed, a splendor as of fire flashed from his eyes. Holmes! Do you believe me now, gentlemen? Kill me before this change is complete. I cannot, I will not shoot you in cold blood. Watson, give me your revolver. Holmes, no! Did you know, Watson, that London upon its foundation was said to have been called New Troy? I did not. Those who founded it were, according to legend, the sole survivors of the Greek attack upon their own city. And as for Atreus' son... You will, I am sure, recall that gentleman's name. When Holmes turned back, his face was a mask of bleak determination. It was Agamemnon. 
And now a couple of the latest releases for you, if all goes to plan. And I am recording this podcast a little in advance. Tuesday, the 2nd of August, should see the release of Torchwood Made You Look. It's rather amazing. Here's the trailer. Thomas is dying. It, it stalks you. It whispers. It wants you to turn around. It wants you to look. But, but if you do, if you see it... What's this? Who are you talking to? It's here. I... I mustn't look. I, I mustn't turn around. I mustn't see. I... I... Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Torchwood made you look. Talmuth is dying. Looks long dead to me. Well, you have come out of season. You can't just vanish a whole town and nobody notices. Oh, yeah. Anyway, depends on the town. This place is dead even when it isn't. I don't understand. The voice. Got them all. All right, listen to me. We need to get to the beach. We need to get down to the beach. Get back! You saw me once. Just a glimpse. A shadow. I didn't. I, I didn't see anything. What the hell are you? What are you doing, Tim? You saw me twice. <laughs> Reflection. Gone before you even knew. I don't care if it kills me. You will not have him. I will never let you have him. Now you can see me again. One must die. If that's not available tomorrow, please forgive me. It will be out soon, but I'm I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, 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 it's fine, 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 fine. Uh, but I can tell you exclusively here that there will be more Torchwood later in the year from Big Finish. And if you think it's been exciting so far, <laughs> you ain't heard nothing yet. Released on Friday the 5th of August, it's the audiobook of Paul Darrow's autobiography, You're Him, Aren't You? And by the way, for those of you wondering about the future of Blake 7 at Big Finish, I can exclusively reveal to you that Big Finish producer John Ainsworth is very busy working away on some new episodes. Oh, yes. Hopefully we'll have more news for you on that very soon. And that was the news. Now, before we go to the emails, regular podcast listeners have noted the inclusion of my seven-year-old son in these podcasts. Now, I'm mindful that some of you might be quietly grinding your teeth, thinking, what the heck is a nauseating kid doing in the Big Finish podcast? I know, I know not everyone likes kids. I understand. I get that, that, you know, I've, there are a few of my colleagues in Big Finish who aren't uh, very keen on kids. I mean, I'm not mentioning any names. Ken Bentley. Oh, uh, at so, uh, but for those of you who do like kids, here's the latest from Ben. And honestly, it doesn't go on for long. It's just for the sake of variety. Here he goes. Now, I just wanted to remind you of, um, you probably don't remember now because it was a few days ago, but you came running up here and you were very excited. Yeah. Could you tell me something about that? I was excited because I, I found all the... Um, Doctor Who Lego I made when I was tiny. And before that, you'd said to me that you weren't into Doctor Who anymore because it wasn't on television. Yeah. So how did finding the Lego make you feel? It made me feel to watch more of them again. So is it safe to say that you're 
back into Doctor Who now? Yes. And what were we watching recently? Death of the Daleks, right? Oh, Death to the Daleks. I, I, I remember. So is it true to say, do you think that Doctor Who is back in your life? Yes. And could you tell us about the, uh, the Doctor Who Lego that you found? I only found two things, but they were they were both Lego TARDISes. One you could actually put figures inside. The second one was just a model. What do you mean by just a model? Well, it, it was like when you couldn't open the door and put a figure inside. Okay. It was like a it was like a solid block, like a table you can't go under. It was a solid rectangular block you you can't actually move a door or things. And these were Lego things that you'd made, they weren't special kits? No, they were Lego things that I made a long time ago, when I was four. Or even younger, possibly. Four and three. Because those are the only times I think I knew about Lego. Okay, is there anything else you want to add? No, I just want to get on to the questions. But that, those were the questions. What questions would you like me to ask you? Wasn't it about being seven? Oh, yes. So, yes. Tell me about that. I'm waiting for you to ask the question. That was the question. What's it like being seven? Hmm. I don't really know. It's just the, <laughs> same. Wanted... It's just the same as being six. Yes. Well, you wanted me to ask. Oh. It, I, I like it being seven because I get more pocket money. Oh, do you? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you do, don't you? Do you get an increase every year? Yes. Every year, every year. I wonder what, what I'm going to get when I'm ten. Probably more than I can afford. <laughs> Look on your face. <laughs> Who knows what will be happening when you're ten? Mm-hmm. That's three years away. That's it. Is there anything else you want to add? No. Thank you very much. See you later. Bye. Okay, thank you, Ben. Marvellous. I don't know quite what to make of him sometimes. He's my son. I love him. You know, what what more can I say? Okay, now time for the Big Finish emails. And remember, you can contact us simply by the marvel of emailing to podcast.bigfinish.com. This week, I'm doing a bit of catching up with some older emails. But then I'll leap forward to some that came in very recently, just the other day, in fact. Keep them coming. So first up, let's zip a little further back in time. This is from Lee Anderson. Dear Mr. Briggs, I am an American fan of Doctor Who in my late 40s. I am six foot two. No, I've just made that bit up. I grew up watching the show on public television stations in omnibus editions from the early 1980s onwards, starting with Tom Baker. I continued watching through the eras and doctors that followed. I endured the wilderness years by the grace of the stories I'd recorded to VHS, the target novelizations and the occasional original novel. When news of the Paul McGann movie arrived, I made certain to watch, hoping that the show would continue. It didn't, but my love of the show did. 
When the show regenerated in 2005, I was as happy as could be to see new Doctors and new stories, and I've enjoyed each of the succeeding Doctors in turn. But my Doctor is Colin Baker. The local PBS stations were always months, if not years, behind in broadcasting the show, so my first glimpse of the Sixth Doctor was in a Peter Haining book. It wasn't until 1986 in, the con in a convention in Austin, Texas, that I saw the Caves of Androzani and the Twin Dilemma for the first time. I also had the great good fortune to meet John Pertwee and Colin Baker in person that weekend. Although I didn't realise it then, I'm certain now that that was when the Sixth Doctor became my Doctor. Thanks to Big Finish, I've had the pleasure of enjoying numerous superb Sixth Doctor stories, all joyously free of the influence of the television script editor that made it his mission to undermine the character of the Doctor, it's not controversial at all, and whose personal animus against Colin Baker only intensified this twisted purpose. This sounds like a speech by a Doctor Who villain, doesn't it? Uh, the Big Finish stories have served not only to correct the undeserved slight of his unceremonious departure from the role by extending Mr Baker's time as the Doctor, but to provide him the opportunity to develop the character and enjoy many more adventures with a variety of companions both familiar and new. As much as I love the series of lost stories that Big Finish produced some years back, filling in the gap of the forced hiatus, I'm writing today to thank you personally for The Sixth Doctor's last adventure. You and your talented writers have finally given us a regeneration story worthy of The Sixth Doctor and the man who continues to portray him so brilliantly. Thank you so much. Sincerely, Lee Anderson. Oh, well. Oh, P.S. Uh, although I've yet to purchase it, I'm also grateful to you for your reimagined The Prisoner series. Oh, Lee, please, no, uh, so you know how to get around me. And look forward to listening, as well as the much-anticipated 10th Doctor Donna Noble box set. Be seeing you. Oh, I get it, yes. Um, of course, the uh, the revelation that uh, the 10th Doctor thing is upcoming when he wrote this email uh, reveals how old the email is. But uh, I am trusting, Lee, that you have listen to the 10th Doctor and the Prisoner by now. Anyway, let us know. Hope you enjoy it. And obviously, the whole thing with the 6th Doctor, you know, Colin uh, has been brilliant and continues to be so, and made it very clear early on that he wanted to develop the character more and said, you know, none of that abrasiveness anymore. Let's, let's mellow him as I'd intended to do in the TV series. And we've enjoyed all sorts of fantastic uh, new companions with him. Um... Yeah, so we've just had a fabulous time and we'll continue to do so. Uh, lots more very exciting Sixth Doctor adventures coming up. Um, yeah, I, I was involved in one that's coming out, I think, in November. I can say no more. I was teasing about it earlier in the news. Uh, I'll, I'll leave that hanging in the air. Next, something a little more recent. This is from Charlie Archer. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Big Finish Podcast. I've recently bought and listened to Torchwood Series 1 and thoroughly enjoyed it. My favourite being Fall to Earth by James Goss. Yeah, that is brilliant. I think they're all brilliant. I know, obviously, I'm on a Big Finish podcast, so I will say things like that. But I'm really enjoying the Torchwood audience. I think James Goss and, and um, Scott Hancock and Barnaby Edwards and, and all the writers are doing a fantastic job on them. Might I say, best Big Finish range so far? Steady on, Charlie. I am very much looking forward to purchasing Series 2 in the near future and especially looking forward to Torchwood Outbreak. 
since you have been able to get both Naoko Mori and Indira Varma back for Series 2, I really think that you need to get Bern Gorman back as Owen as one. That would make a full set, which is always nice, but more importantly, two. I personally think that the character of Owen was the most complex character in the original series and would provide plenty of great stories for Series 3. Also, this would mean you could have a box set in the vein of Outbreak set in Series 1 or 2 with the whole team or even pre-Series 1 with Susie instead of Gwen. Oh, what? Uh, going even further, I would love to see what happened to the Torchwood team without Jack in the, in the year that never was during the Doctor Who Series 3 finale, including them coping with without Jack being put on a wild goose chase by the Master and their experiences throughout the Master's occupation of Earth. Perhaps one of them was part of the 10% that were killed by the Toclophane. It could sort of be like Torchwood Unbound. Well, that's interesting. Um, I wonder if James Goss is listening. He, sh he, should, he should read this email, frankly. Interesting stuff. Yes, um, I was working with Naoko not in the context of Torchwood the other day, and she was uh, telling me how delighted she was to be back and how she'd like to do some more. Obviously, that uh, conversation wasn't contractual, but uh, it was lovely to uh, see her again. I haven't seen her for ages. I think the last time I saw her was uh, when we were both going to a convention in L.A., and that was many years ago. And I seem to remember that she and Phil Collinson got upgraded and I didn't. But, you know, I don't hold that against her. <laughs> Next up, from Tim. Dear Mr Briggs, Ben and whoever this week's guest is. Firstly, thanks for these brilliant podcasts. I know you've only just concluded the Paul Sprague short trip competition, which was such a lovely idea. It encouraged me to have a go. Having ne never done anything like it before, to my surprise, Mr. Atkins, that's Ian Atkins, who's a producer at Big Finish, uh, took the time to give some positive feedback. I know, uh, Ian has been brilliant running this writer's opportunity and has, um, uh, you know, as a, a budding writer for many years himself, and now he's writing lots of things for Big Finish brilliantly. He's very aware of uh, what it's like to submit ideas and, and how those are received and reacted to. And, and he has been superb at contacting people and giving them feedback. Uh, Tim goes on. His question is, will there be another next year? I've since written a couple of stories just for fun, which is brilliant. I always say to people, if they want to write, what they've got to do is just keep writing. Uh, for the love of it and keep writing ideas down I always used to keep a book I would still do keep a book with me you'll notice whatever jacket I'm wearing if you ever see me there's a bulge in one of the pockets because I have a little notebook in there and I'm always scribbling things down any little thing that occurs to me quite often sort of crazy titles but that's just me <laughs> uh, he says keep up the uh, big finish good work I'm not avoiding answering will there be another writer's opportunity the plan is that there will be one every year and that's what Ian is planning. Let's see how busy he is next year. I know he's taking on a lot more work at the moment from us and doing a lot more producing, which is brilliant. The next one is from Sam Davern. Uh, I'm pronouncing that name correctly, I believe. There's a little reminder about it at the end of the email. This one's from a little while back too. Hi, Nick, or whoever it is in the podcast. Yes, it's me. Uh, I can't be bothered. That was me saying that, not Sam. I can't be bothered to write a little introductory piece to this email, so I'm just going straight to my questions. I think, Sam, that was the little introductory piece. Uh, one, in the last podcast, so this was a while back, John Ainsworth said that Chris Eccleston was considered for an Unbound release. He was indeed. Um, I don't think we ever got around to asking him, though. Would you be interested in doing a Doctor Who Unbound 
Unbound series where we see what would have happened had you cast Chris. And will we be seeing, or rather hearing Chris, in any future new series releases? Um, I don't know the definitive answer to that. Uh, sorry, I was just distracted by the uh, shadow of the lead from my headphones being cast upon the wall and dangling. I thought I was being attacked by, you know, the nesting intelligence. <laughs> This team consciousness. Sorry, I got the name wrong. <gasps> you failed as a Doctor Who fan, Briggs. Um, there are no no news at the moment on Chris Eccleston. He's he's currently um, passing on the idea of of him doing Doctor Who audios, but he's not said never. And uh, you know, I've, I I hold out great hopes for for working with Chris. Mainly because, you know, I really enjoyed working with Chris on the TV series and I think he's a brilliant Doctor Who and, uh, well, we'll keep trying. Question two from Sam. Why do you have to tempt me with these amazing vinyls? I will be buying a turntable just so I can get Chimes of Midnight. What about spare parts? Anyway, since I will soon have a turntable... We'll need to have more than one record to justify getting it. Would it be possible to release The Holy Terror and Doctor Who and the Pirates on the same format? I, your idea is noted. I would love us to do that. Let's just see how, how the others sail. They're very limited uh, editions, so maybe, maybe. Question three. Will Sir Derek Jacobi be appearing in a future War Doctor set? And will there be more sets on the way after Casualties of War? Uh, no firm answers on that. Uh, we'd love to do more War Doctor, but we'll, we'll see how all that pans out. Many thanks, Sam Davern. It's pronounced Davern, not, as you have said before, Dave Earn. Well, thank you, Sam, for putting me right. And on that note, that's the end of the emails for this podcast. More next time. Remember, the address is podcast at bigfinish.com. Did I mention that before? I think I did. It's always worth mentioning, though. Time now for the podcast interview. As mentioned earlier, it features line producer David Richardson chatting to veteran actor John Chalice, who recently featured in our fourth Doctor adventure, The Trouble with Drax. Here's the trailer. There, Brighton, 1851. Hopefully the atmosphere will prove a little more cordial on this occasion. We're constantly visiting the same cities on the same planets. What's happening? Master, the course is being directed by an outside influence. Hello? Anybody home? Step away from your TARDIS, Time Oh no! All right, boys, there he is. Fugitive Drax, you have been positively identified. Drax? Doctor! And Princess Astra have been improving on that stuffy ice maiden you used to hang around with, eh, Doc? I think not. Why not? Because I am that stuffy ice maiden. Well, this is awkward. Hey, Nine, stun them! Laser, non-operational, mistress. I believe it's called a state of grace. Time Lord technology, according to Drax. Drax, you didn't. I did. Even told him how to allow strategic exceptions, didn't I? Drax, why are we here? Altrazar. Altrazar. The legendary city, lost to eternity. A metropolis erased from history so completely that only time sensitives have any suspicion it was ever there. What would you say if I told you that not only do I know where Altrazar is, but I've got a map? 
can take us there. Wow, that's a bit out of the ordinary. Isn't it? And the shadows. People who once were, who'll never be. Ghosts lost in the mists of time. Now, you may know John as the henchman Scorby from the fourth Doctor adventure, The Seeds of Doom, but the British public at large will know him as Boise, a character made famous in the ridiculously successful BBC sitcom. I mean, ridiculously. I mean, everyone watched it. Even I watched it. Uh, Only Fools and Horses, it was called. It was by John Sullivan and starring David Jason and Nicholas Lindhurst. Here's John. I've been to a couple of uh, conventions that are sort of uh, sci-fi based and obviously my only connection really with it is um, is Doctor Who um, but uh, obviously I'm, I'm better known for uh, for the situation comedy lot so but, but uh, there are quite a few crossovers you know so so a couple of conventions I've been uh, been at have been sci-fi based but also they've been interested in um, in Only Fools and Horses and the Green Green Grass as well so mm. so that's quite nice I'm still waiting for the big invitation to go to America to a big uh, Doctor Who convention <laughs> I know what's uh, what's your take on the impact TV has had on your life? Oh, my, well I uh, I grew up on the stage it was what I first fell in love with and uh, and it's what I started doing you know it's a travelling children's theatre and um a lot of repertory work and then a West End, the RSC and so on for about the first five or six years, I suppose. Um, and then television was uh, the coming thing, uh, you know, mid-60s and 70s. And, uh, but there was a lot of work about in those days. And uh, I think most actors would say that they um, prefer to work on television so that they can afford to work in the theatre because it's notoriously badly paid, this is. And, of course, television is much better paid, so it was, it was attractive from that point of view. But I um, I wasn't a natural by any means on television because I was theatrical. And, as I say, I'd grown up on the stage and I was used to being on a stage and um, and projecting um, sort of in, in a large way. So I had to learn quite quickly to sort of pare it down and... And I got a very mobile face, and it tends to show absolutely everything I'm I'm feeling. So I I really had to be careful. And I had some early directors who were very good with me, actually. Um, the first one I did um, a show called The Newcomers, and uh, it was a director called Paddy Russell, and she was she sort of kept me behind after school, and <laughs> sort of gave me a bit of coaching. You know, she said, "What you're doing is fine, but it's much too big." And uh, and so uh, I I really had to sort of screw myself down, and technically. I find it quite difficult. But with the situation comedy, of course, um, it was a sort of curious hybrid, Only Fools and Horses, in that you were doing a television show, but there was a live audience. So you, so it was theatre as well. And you, of course you have to play to that audience to a certain extent because it's their reaction that are going to produce the laughter that you hear when the television programme goes out. So it was, it was actually quite difficult to do the two things because you've got to be very disciplined on a in a television studio to make sure you're in the right position, facing the right way, um, and so on. And I always find I, I always found that to be perfectly on quite inhibiting. My instinct is to display and you know sort of make my effects sort of physically. Um, so it's it's something I've I've had to learn uh, over the years to to be a bit careful of, and of course. The temptation is that if you're playing, as I did, um, for instance, uh, a lot of policemen, 
um, I'd be so concerned about not doing too much, I'd finish up doing nothing at all. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was the two extremes. It's a classic case of uh, either doing too much or, or too little. So, so then again, I had to have... I had to sort of listen to some more people who say, no, you can do a bit more than that, but not too much. And, and it's still it's still something that I'm, I worry about, you know, if I'm doing something on the telly, you know. I'm guessing the... Um the public recognition that came with doing those shows is mm. huge, hasn't it? I mean, do you, do you just get recognised all the time? Yeah, yeah, every day, pretty yeah. well. You know, um, it's which is extraordinary, really. Um, it, uh, you know, when we started, of course, you thought. I mean, I, I always remember when we were doing the first episodes. I, I thought it was very funny, and I loved it. And uh, but nobody ever said anything. Nobody said, "Oh, you'll definitely be back in the next series," and or even that there was going to be another series. Mm. And uh, so every year you sort of hoped and uh, and the character eventually caught on and uh, and you found yourself in more and more of the episodes. And then John Sullivan started writing for, for everybody because he realised how how important the periphery characters had become. Um, and he worked very well, I think, with, um, with Del Boy and Rodney um, and to a lesser extent uh, Uncle Albert in the middle and all these satellite characters revolving around it, you know, and that's... That's how it works so well. Um, but the result of that was that the, the, um, the periphery characters became um, almost as important, do you know, um, and got into people's consciousness. And it was just that magic thing of the, the, the writing and the right actors in the right parts. Um, we had great words to say. Um, but John Sullivan always said he couldn't have done it without the actors because... You know, it's, I mean, it's it's one of those magical sort of symbioses or whatever the word is. Um, and, and extraordinary. Um, after about the fourth series where it really started to take off, that was about 1985. And, uh, yeah, every day someone would call something out, you know. It's usually Marlene, in my case. And do the, you know, people would try and do the laugh. I mean, have you ever wished you hadn't done something? <laughs> because, you know... From that day to this, I'm asked to do the laugh, and it's very difficult to do from a standing start. You know, it's because Boise um, would laugh usually at one of his own jokes, and um, so it would come on the end of a of a joke. Um, but no, I mean, uh, you know, what a privilege to uh, have been part of something that meant so much to people. You know. Thanks to John Chalice there for being brilliant generally, and most specifically in our recent Fourth Doctor release, The Trouble with Drax. Time now for a random release from the Big Finish archive. Right. Activating the randomoid selectatron. Oh dear, this is always... I must work out a better way of doing this. Let's put... I put the word of in and see what happens. Well, look. Graceless. Series one. Me and my sister. We're not real people. We were made. Created by pan-dimensional beings. The Grace. To help save space and time. The Grace gave us special powers. With just a thought, we can be anywhere or when in the universe. 
We can affect people, see into their heads, influence their thoughts. We're still learning what we can do. And we were so naive. We didn't know any better. My sister, Zara, she's... she's done terrible things. When we completed our mission, the Grace left us to fend for ourselves. The universe is dangerous, unpredictable. We've only got each other. Me and my sister Zara. She's always been a bad influence. They originally featured in a trilogy of Peter Davison stories in our Doctor Who main range. Uh, which started being released in January 2009. And the trilogy was called The Key to, that's the numeral to, Time. The first story was called The Judgment of Iskar, which I enjoyed playing uh, Ice Warriors in. And uh, at that point, um, the characters were called Amy and Zara, not Abby and Zara. And um, I'm not quite sure when Amy came into the TV series, but... Uh, I think it was round about that time so yeah we had a clash of names but you know the BBC I think when they approved the story didn't know about the incoming companion's name and um, so anyway there we had a trilogy out there where the doctor had a companion called Amy and they they help help and stroke hinder the doctor uh, in his uh, new quest for the key to time in a sequence of three stories the judgment of Iskar the destroyer of delights and the chaos pool. So I've had nothing to do with the production of Graceless. All I know is that Laura Doddington and Kira Jansen are both brilliant actresses and delightful human beings. I've spent a lot of time with at conventions and that they have a lot of fun doing Graceless and that there will be some more Graceless coming up and I would urge you to uh, have a listen. It's a brilliant series. Um, yeah. Uh, a bit naughty in places, <laughs> a bit funny, and also extremely exciting and quite disturbing. Maybe a little bit more adults than Doctor Who, dare I say something like that. Anyway, have a listen. Right now, the end of the podcast is nigh. Just time to mention that out now is Classic Doctor's New Monsters. That was released last week. Here's the trailer to remind you. Let's hope 19th century England is ready for the Jadoon. Coming soon from Big Finish Production. Michelangelo! Who the blazes are you? Get back from the edge! What? Santa-ha! Santa-ha! You brought your fight into real time. Take your war, your cruel, senseless time war, and leave. You speak their language? Oh, yes. The cigarettes. What? I'm the only chance you have. Doctor, the, the rain, he's trying to snuff out his torch. Keep your eyes on it, don't even blink. This sector of space was contaminated by temporal flux. Why has security not reached that room? These blocks all around, 
the, the angel could be anyone. Give us the secrets of the humans. If you're a time lord, you can make things better. If you bring the time war here, they will have to live with the consequences. You may be able to control humans, but you will never understand them. Any moment now, the infamous doctor will be nothing but carbonized molecules. No, no, stop! Doctor Who. Classic Doctors, New Monsters, Volume 1. The Angel. I can't see it. I can't see anything. Big finish. We love stories. Gubby, I think it's coming. Joel? I love Joel. you. And there you have it. Now, I'll be back for another podcast next week. No firm news on who my guest star will be. Not yet, anyway. Give me a chance. I'm only just back off holiday. So it's bye from me for now. And here comes the third instalment of our serialization of The Great War from the epic Eighth Doctor adventure, Dark Eyes. (coughs) 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 I think that's done the trick, nurse. I'm not a nurse. Aren't you? Well, you look like a nurse. And I don't see how that did the trick, as you put it. No man recovers that quickly, if at all. I've seen men drowning because of the fluid in their lungs. It's a terrible sight. You can't have been in any gas attack. I assure you I was. Not, um, what are you? You're not a nurse? We're vads. Vads? This is Earth, isn't it? Eh? The Great War. It's a war, all right, but there's nothing great about it. The worst war, more like. He was in the gas attack for certain, sister. We found him with a bunch of other blokes. They weren't so lucky. And he's been coughing something awful. Got it. Voluntary aid detachment. That's right. Aristocratic ladies doing their bit. The non-working classes, keen as mustard. Do I look like an aristo? Sure, young Isabel here's got a daddy who owns a factory or two, but I'm... In domestic service, yes. Rough hands, ruddy complexion. Nobody's got a complexion to be proud of here. And there's plenty of grand ladies in France who've a few calluses now. Well put. But I'm right, though, aren't I? You're no ladyship doing your bit, are you? What brought you to France? What's your name, by the way? Extraordinary eyes you have. Isabel, this one's cheeky enough to make a recovery. Wash him down and see if you can get him walking. I doubt even you can mess that up. <laughs> you ruffled her feathers, didn't you? Anyway, glad to see you back in the land of the living years. I'll... I'll, uh, I'll go and fetch some water. Thank you, Isabel. Oh, you're most welcome. I'll be back presently. So tell me, Private Tucker, exactly how would you describe those strange noises you heard last night? Eh? How'd you know about that? I heard you talking to Hodgie, was it? Yeah. Blimey, you don't miss much. I thought you were out for the count on the old duckboard trail. Let's just say I'm one of the lucky ones, and my mind never sleeps. So tell me about the noises, Mr. Tucker. Like, well, it was like metal. Scraping metal. There was something moving through the barbed wire out there. I saw it. Tanks? Eh? What do you mean, tanks? Tanks of what? Ah, too early for tanks, then. Forget I said anything. Interesting. Or worrying. Probably a bit of both. Ah, and here comes the wealthy heiress herself. Quiet, please. I get some of this mud off you. First day, Isabel? No. No, not quite your first day, maybe. Don't worry, your secret's safe with me. <laughs> Thank you very much. How come your hair's so long? It's been longer. And this isn't a uniform. What are you wearing? It looks like velvet. Blimey, you're right. 
What's a proper gent in velvet doing in the middle of a battle, then? I'm no gentleman. What are you doing with this man, Stamp? Uh, nothing, Matron. I meant to say, uh, Molly said I was to wash him, but look Never at his Never mind clothes. your nonsense. Shake a leg, Stamford. Time to get everyone on the train. Quick as you please. But, Major... Off with you. Go and help O'Sullivan. Move yourself. Mm. Well, it's not you, Matron, that's for sure. What the devil's that? Uh, he's got a penny whistle that makes funny noises. And he's got long hair. And he dresses like a toff. Not a strange one of your sister. Now, now. Get on the train, Private. This gentleman, too, and there'll be no more disturbing the other patients with that. No, 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 wait a minute. I need None that. None of your nonsense now. Stretcher bearers, get this man aboard. All aboard! All aboard! The matron, 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 seriously, I need that. I'll be fine. Best concentrate on these other poor fellows. You really have made a recovery, haven't you? A bit smudged around the edges, but it seems I'm pretty much fine, yes. But that doesn't make sense. Uh, tell me something, Isabel. Why was there such a rush to get everyone on the train all of a sudden? What is it? I shouldn't really say, but... But you're going to. They say there was a cloud of mustard gas heading for the station. Really? That doesn't seem right. I'm not sure that ever happened. That's a strange thing to say. Are you one of those Americans? Americans? What's so strange about them? Well, they're not in the war. But, but some of them have come over here to volunteer. Like our Dr. Sturgis, for instance. He's an American, is he? He is. And he's strange? No. Well, yes, in a way. I mean to say, well, they speak our language, don't they? But the things they say are sometimes a bit... Well, I'm not an American, Isabel. Then where are you from? Well, well, far away. Yes, I can believe that. Isabel, would you do me a favor? A favor? My, um, penny whistle. The matron took it any chance. <laughs> Shell creator right in the middle of the track. Well, this simply won't do. Have we got any officers on board? Uh, none that can stand or make much sense, miss. Oh, we'll have to send a messenger to the chateau. See if we can get some ambulances to ferry the men. The walking wounded will have to follow the track on foot. Begging your pardon, matron, but that'll take him ages. The chateau is still miles away. It's pretty much pitch black out here now and getting colder by the minute. And most of the boys need urgent attention now. 
When I require medical advice from a VAD, I'll ask for it, Molly O'Sullivan. But surely Molly here has got a point. Get back on the train! Wouldn't it be better to get the walking wounded to help fill the crater? That's a fine idea, but what about the track? Oh, it's not clean through. Yes, clean through. I think I might have an idea how to fix that. What are you, then? An engineer or something? I have been known to have my engineering moments. Molly O'Sullivan. But, Matron, I shall need my son at my penny whistle. And why would you need a penny whistle for engineering? It relaxes me, helps me think. Go on, Matron, what do you say? Hmm. Very well. I'll go and get it. Well, well. I never thought I'd see the day. What day, Molly? When anyone managed to change the Matron's mind about anything. And don't you be so free and familiar with me first name. Well, I'm not allowed to call you nurse or sister. What else is there, Molly? Ooh, you think you're so clever, don't you now? Private? Uh, yes, sister. See if you can get some shovels from the engine. Yes, ma'am. And we'll need to make a fire to keep warm and so we can see what we're about. Right you are, sister. You're organised. I'm impressed. Hmm. Interesting crater. I take it we'll be needing a fire for you to work your engineering miracle with the broken track. That's a reasonable assumption. Very good. And you can stop patronising me right now. What do they call you? Oh, uh, just the doctor. Just the doctor? What are you? One of those quacks selling portions out of an old suitcase? Oh, yes, a quack and a charlatan. That's me, Molly O'Sullivan. Except that I left my suitcase in no man's land, so I'm right out of potions, I'm afraid. A quack, a charlatan and a bit of a joker, is it? Well, you better not be fooling with us, the doctor. None of your blarney now, mind. Tell me true. Can you fix the train track or not? Well? I can fix it. But the question is, what broke it? How do you mean? This isn't a shell crater. Isn't it? Looks like one to me. It's very similar, very similar. But this blast wasn't caused by cordite. The smell's all wrong and the heat intensity was much higher. Oh, was it now? Have you got a portion to fix that by any chance, the doctor? This crater was made by an energy weapon blast. An energy weapon? What's that supposed to mean? Uh, trouble. Big trouble. <laughs>